Hey, this is David Perkins, pastor of Radiant Church. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. I hope and I pray that the content helps you grow as a follower of Jesus. We'd love to see you at one of our services on Sundays or maybe at our Bold Conference this summer. Remember this, those who look to Him are radiant. When I think about being excited, I think about the young mother who was doing her laundry about uh, maybe eight o'clock at night, and and, uh, uh, she thought her little boy, Timmy, was fast asleep, but she started hearing shouting, just loud shouting from, from his bedroom, and she ran down the hall, and the door was cracked open, and there she saw little Timmy standing on his bed with the family Bible in his hand, wide op- open, the family Bible, and he was preaching the gospel to the family cat. The cat was there on the pillow just looking up at him, and he was just inviting the cat to come to a personal experience in Jesus as his Savior, and she thought, well, I'll just leave him be. It's wonderful. He's probably paying attention in Sunday school. The next morning, she was doing the dishes after breakfast, and she looked out the back window, and there was little Timmy with a great big tub of water holding the cat under the water, and the cat was just flailing all over the place. She ran out and said, what on earth are you doing? And he said, I'm baptizing the cat. And she said, don't you know cats hate water? And he looked up and said, he should have thought of that before he joined my church. So that's my cat story. Uh, I want to share with you this morning on the thought, the impact of prayer. The impact of prayer, timeless insights from the early church. And I want to just share kind of a little brief teaching for a few moments and then a, a, a couple of examples of what we're seeing in our own ministry. And I appreciate the kind introduction of, uh, of David just a little while ago. And God has done great things. We He's blessed us with a staff of some 8,000 around the world now. We have 189 or so offices in 150 nations. And uh, it is true that last year, over 350,000 homes were visited every single day, every single day, 350,000 homes. But so significant to what God is doing is the power of prayer. And, you know, when I think of the book of Acts and I think of... uh, uh, look, look, just if we all know the book of Acts is the record, the historic record of what God did in the, in the early church. And, as, and sometimes you might wonder what's some of the most foundational verses or foundational passages of the entire book of Acts that seem to just uh, amplify or show what really was significant in what God did throughout that season of the early church. And one of the passages that uh, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced is profoundly foundational is Acts 4.31 to 33. And of course, the, the setting of this is that the, the disciples had been arrested, the apostles had been arrested as they've been trying to proclaim the name of Jesus. And the uh, ruling authority said, uh, we told you you weren't supposed to do this, but you, you just keep on doing it. And so they, when they warned them again, they had, did what we all ought to do when we have any challenges is they went to prayer. And uh, here's the significant passage, and I want to just highlight rather quickly seven unique things that we see in this passage, and then just share some illustrations that I think, or case studies that uh, might bless you. But I wanted to 
highlight that passage first. And when they had prayed, say that with me. And when they had prayed, and you'll notice these things all happened because of that first sentence. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it be wonderful to attend a church where everyone is truly, fully filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with gladness. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And in this single passage, there is a sevenfold impact of prayer. And I know it was decades ago that I resolved an issue in my own life that no day would ever go by that I wouldn't spend time in the presence of the Lord and, and even made that commitment that it would be a minimum of an hour. And I, and I know you can't just say, well, we need this amount of time or we need to pray that way. But uh, when, I, when I read how Jesus said could you, to his disciples when they were asleep in the garden, he wa- apparently might have even said it while they were sleeping, but he said, could you not watch with me one hour? And I made that determination, and and David referenced that uh, just a little while ago. Uh, And this passage of Scripture was very significant to me in in those early days and still is. I'll just go through several several of these now for the next few minutes. Uh, The first impact uh, is a supernatural shaking. A supernatural shaking. And when they had prayed, and I'd preface all seven of these thoughts, uh, these impacts, with that, that phrase, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. Uh, I remember uh, an unusual time at a, a prayer retreat we held in, uh, early in our ministry when we had moved to California, and uh, we were high in the Sierra Nevada mountains and uh, near a place called Mammoth Mountain, and about 150 young people came up to spend the entire weekend in prayer all night, all day. We were just going to seek God. And I remember in the first 15 minutes or so, I used this passage of scripture. And uh, the Lord sometimes has, I think he has a unique sense of humor and he can surprise you in unique ways. And I, I took this passage of scripture and I said, when I said, and the place was shaken when they prayed. And I said, you never know when God's power is going to come and just shake things up. And right then, there was a 3.2 earthquake uh, right underneath where the retreat center was. (laughs) Oh, man, it was just great. Revival broke out. Um, It was just just tremendous. And uh, uh, and every time I read this verse, I think of that because... Uh, I think God just did this, uh, maybe to say, well, it'd be nice to do something different, you know, anyway. So the place was shaken where they're assembled together. You know, in Haggai chapter two, verses six and seven, it says, I will shake all nations. Uh, And I believe the more we pray, the more we begin to see these things happen. And when they had prayed, I will shake all the nations and the desire of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. In Hebrews, we see this. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Something, it's not only, in this case, it was a physical shaking. We know that that place actually began to shake. 
But God can shake up a nation through its economy, through different things, uh, sometimes through calamities, uh, in many different ways. And so when we pray, God begins to shake things up. We've seen that happen in the last few years, even in the politics of, of, of our nation. God is shaking things up as people pray. That's why we need to keep on and not give up. Second impact is a, a supernatural empowerment. Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they had prayed, you know, it's uh, interesting to me, I, I, and I heard a, a, a Bible teacher that I had great respect for years ago. Uh, more than once I heard him say, uh, never forget the last command Jesus gave the church. Never forget that. And then he would mention, of course, the Great Commission and say the last command Jesus gave the church was to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. Uh, and, and I started sharing that in our schools of prayer I was doing. I would share that at some point. And then one day I read my own Bible. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good thing to do. And I noticed that wasn't the last command that he gave the church. It was the next to the last command. The last command, in, in, in Acts chapter uh, uh, 1 verse 4, and being assembled together, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem until they were endued with power. And that, it just hit me. He called them to a prayer meeting. He said, you go to the prayer meeting because you need the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do what I've called you to do. And that's why I highlight in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he said, you will receive power and you will tell people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, right where you live, right in your own neighborhoods, throughout Judea, even expanding in Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And so that was the, the, the second impact that we see was a supernatural empowerment. The third impact is a supernatural courage, a supernatural courage. And uh, when they had prayed, say that again, and when they had prayed, they spoke the word of God with boldness. All of this flows out of a, of a spirit of prayer. And I, and I really believe when, when we have a praying church, something begins to happen when we go forth into the marketplace, into the workplace, wherever God calls us to go, we have a, a Holy Spirit boldness. I still remember, I still remember uh, a young lady in our church when after I really just surrendered my life to Jesus uh, more than 55 years ago. And I remember one night she was baptized. We say baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, and I remember that very night she was so ecstatic. Now this may sound a little odd, but she actually ran out of the church into the middle of the street in front of our church and was stopping cars to tell people about Jesus. <laughs> You know what happened to her? She went to Bible school, married a young man. They went to the mission field and had probably over 50 years of service out in Africa. And it began with that holy boldness. The third impact is a supernatural courage, a supernatural courage. And when they had, well, I already shared that one. So it's the fourth one. You know, as you get, it's, 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 it's I just have a problem with short-term memory. I do. I just. And I also have a problem with short-term memory. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, but I found out the best definition of short-term memory, seriously, seriously, is when you're standing in front of the microwave and it goes ding, 
and you have no idea what you put in there. None. It's mystery time. You open it up and, oh, oh it's, a, it's a Jimmy Dean breakfast sausage. Wow. <laughs> Must be morning. <laughs> so that was, anyway, that was free. So now where were we? Here we are at the fourth impact. The fourth impact is a spirit of unity. And when they had prayed, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. You, you show me a praying church, a real praying church, and I'll show you harmony. I'll show you people that are working together. And all of these things begin to happen. Number five, the fifth impact is a supernatural generosity. You know, a spirit-filled church is a generous church. It's a generous church. And because I come out of that background, I remember when I began to be involved more and more with the evangelical community and one of the great, great leaders uh, of one of the greatest movements I've known in my lifetime, and I don't need to mention it by name right now, but I remember when they, they, they knew of, of my background, and, um, and I remember they're saying, you know, I, I don't know uh, why this is, but uh, the charismatic churches are far more generous to our ministry, and I hope, I, I don't want to sound uh, unkind here, but uh, than other parts of the body of Christ, and there's something about a generous spirit that comes in a giving church. And it says in Acts 4.32, and I preface it again with what's in the previous verse, and when they had prayed, neither did anyone say that any of things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Hallelujah for that spirit. Uh, number six, and I, I'm just touching on these because I want to share a story or two <coughs> to amplify this. Acts uh, uh, chapter 4.33, but I preface it again. And when they had prayed... With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I've already talked about an empowerment, but this is uh, speaking more of authority, where people go forth in a spirit of authority that the Lord's given them uh, wherever they go. And sometimes that authority comes uh, in uh, uh, praying for the sick. Sometimes that authority comes in creative insight, in in the workplace or whatever it is, and they're, they're, they're demonstrating that the power of the Holy Spirit is at work, and it's just an anointing, and we thank God for that. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 19, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them, and nothing will injure you. It's that kind of authority that we need in this uh, season, this generation. And, uh, you know, one of the things I, you notice if you're looking at the screen that I had an adjective or, uh, in front of each of these particular impacts, and it was the word supernatural. I'm absolutely convinced that the more the church prays, and there are greater prayer movements rising up in the world today than at any time in the history of the church, the more we're going to see the supernatural happen out on the mission field. And we have numerous, often every month, reports of things like uh, uh, workers coming to the door of a house to tell people about Jesus. And uh, suddenly they say, oh, you were in my dream. 
I had you in my dream last night. I read one of these stories just very recently. And they said you were going to come to my home and, and give to me a gift or show me uh, truth or something like that. And of course, uh, when people have that happen, obviously they're not going to slam the door in a person's face. And uh, I, I don't know why I was, I was thinking of this, of that island uh, in the uh, Andaman Islands, that island chain off the coast of India and Myanmar where uh, that young Jonathan uh, Alan Chow went to try to tell the, the two or three hundred inhabitants on that island that, that Jesus loved him. And, and uh, uh, the, the cur- obviously the courage to do that. Some would say that was just foolish, that was silly. Uh, but in, in my spirit, I believe God will honor the, 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 his martyrdom, the shedding of his blood. Because we've heard stories in the past where someone's gone to a village like in North Africa and tried to preach the gospel to people and were martyred. And then sometime after that, everybody had a dream uh, about who Jesus is. Well, I mentioned that because I started praying that you know, almost every day I would pray uh, for the last several months. Uh, God, I just pray that every one of those inhabitants of that island will have some kind of an encounter because if they all had a vision of Jesus or a vision of a, of a messenger coming to them uh, and, and, and the dream it said, you're, you're, someone's going to come here and bring you good news, they won't shoot arrows at a person like that. Not when they have something like that. And I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm believing that God's going to be doing that in the days to come. And the next impact, the seventh impact, is a, a supernatural favor. A supernatural favor. And uh, uh, Acts chapter 4.33 says, and I just preface it again, is when they had prayed, and when they had prayed, great grace was upon them all. Uh, A literal translation of this reads, and God's great favor was upon them all. I know that in Genesis uh, 6.8, it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And the Message Bible paraphrases this, God liked what he saw in Noah. Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? (laughs) God liked what he saw when he looked upon you. The noted Bible teacher, S.D. Gordon, was a Bible teacher in Boston at the turn of the 20th century, the early early 1900s. And one thing he said uh, certainly struck a chord with me. The real victory in all service is won beforehand in prayer. Service is merely gathering up the results. That's why as a leader... I'm convinced the greatest thing I can do with my time is to spend time in the presence of the Lord. You know, we're a busy people. We're busy doing the work of God, busy doing the will of God. Um, We're just busy. Robert Murray McChain, a great Scottish preacher in the mid-1800s, said, no amount of activity in the king's service will ever make up for the neglect of the king himself. No amount of activity in the king's service will ever make up for the neglect of the king himself. S.D. Gordon went on to say, the great people of the earth are the people who pray. Prayer isn't the only thing, but it is the chief thing. And, uh, you know, I believe that I'm standing before praying church. Now, I don't have a whole lot of evidence, you know, just by coming into a place. I do know this. I love the worship. I just love the, the sense of, uh, of just exalting and loving the Lord. And maybe today the Lord wants each one of us individually because then we form the corporate body to just uh, do something a little more uh, in our daily uh, plans and our, our, 
our daily schedules to factor in a set time on a daily basis where we're going to meet with God and just wait on him. And I know in our ministry, God's blessed us with, uh, you know, uh, we have uh, our headquarters is called the Jericho Center and, and uh, uh, God has blessed us. We uh, were able to import 50 ton of Jerusalem stone to build a, a wall of prayer there with multiple uh, prayer grottos in it where people can come now day and night and pray in those grottos. And um, uh, last year in those prayer rooms, it was something like uh, 53, between 53 and 55,000 hours, individuals coming into those places to pray. We have a live feed coming from all over the world of prayer requests that are live from the different regions of the world. Uh, one of the things to monitor on the screen is called All the World Worship, where if you sit there in the presence of the Lord and just praise the Lord and exalt the Lord uh, over an hour to an hour and a half, all the nations of the world, the populations and the scenes from them will come up so we can declare the glory of the Lord over these nations. And, and I'll share in, a, in just a minute as I come to a conclusion of what uh, the new uh, initiative that has just begun in the last 30 days for our ministry. But I wanted to share a couple case studies first. Um, uh, the, and when they had prayed, and when they had prayed. Now, uh, this is what I, I, I just titled, this the miracle of a mysterious dog in a South Pacific jungle. Uh, uh, have you ever seen a happy dog? I mean, you, I don't know if dogs smile or not. I mean, I know, I know they, their smiles are their, ta their tails, you know, usually. And, well, anyway, uh, the, uh, about six of our workers were going up into the highlands of, uh, uh, in Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea is a land of some uh, uh, 900 different spoken languages with not that great a population, but uh, a real challenge. And we've been there for a number of years, and God has blessed the work there. And, you know, often we say we're a ministry of maps, because we, we, we want to know where we're going. We want to know where the villages are. We don't want to miss anyone. We, we want to leave no one behind. And uh, uh, so our team was going up into the highlands of this one area. And the problem is uh, there's places, and you would know this would be in many parts of different parts of the world, where, where there are no maps, especially when you get into the very least reached peoples and way hidden off in mountains or in jungles and... And uh, in those cases, often you just start trekking out into an area. And uh, of course, in places like Papua New Guinea, they would be looking for the smoke rising from a village and they would know that off in the distance, may have to even climb a tree and look, but w when they see the smoke, they know that there's, there's, there's people there. And so they saw this in a distance and they started out and they were in the thick of jungle and all of a sudden they came to a very swampy bog. And, and as they came to that swampy bog, uh, one of the team leaders started, of course, they didn't actually know it was that at first, but as they were walking into it, one of them began to sink. Uh, they, they knew right away it was quicksand. They pulled him back, and then they went a, a distance, and they knew that some, all along here, this is, this is swamp, and, uh, but they knew the village was on the other side, and they tried again, and uh, when they would step in, they started to sink, and and then they prayed. And when they had prayed, Lord, we don't want to miss that village. We need your guidance. Huh? God can answer prayers in unique ways, as I mentioned earlier. And all of a sudden, from the bush, from behind them, came a dog. 
And when I say it was a happy dog, he kind of circled him a few times, wagged his tail, looked up at him. <laughs> I don't know again if he smiled. <laughs> maybe maybe went, <laughs> showed his tail, I don't know. And then he went running down for maybe uh, 75 yards from them and turned back and looked at him, stood there and wagged its tail. And one of the leaders said, look at that dog, he's, he's interesting. But they didn't do anything. And the dog came running back, circled him again a couple times, wagged its tail, went right back to the same spot, looked back, wagged his tail. One of them was, had the presence of mind to say, you know, I think that dog wants us to follow him. So they went on down to where the dog was. The dog wagged his tail again, looked up at him, and then started right out into that swamp. And his little paws going about that deep. And under that surface was a, a log bridge that they could have never seen or never know was there. And that dog led them all the way across that swamp and then led them into where they came to a clearing and there was the village. <laughs> and they went to the chief and they said to the chief uh, why they were there. And, the, and they all, it's, always, it's a tradition to, try to get permission from the chief in these villages. And, and the chief invited them to share. In fact, it called the whole village together. And they were able to preach the gospel. And we were told that almost everyone that very day gave their hearts to Jesus in that village. But the interesting thing was when they finished preaching the gospel, and it was obviously the Holy Spirit was working, the, uh, the team leader said to the chief, you know, we never would have found your village without your dog. And he said, what dog? Uh, he said, uh, we've never had a dog. And he said, that dog, and they turned to try and find the dog, and the dog was gone. Now, go figure. I can't explain that, except that God's a supernatural God. And when they had prayed. Uh, there's another story quickly I'll tell you. It's a case study, I would call it. When they had prayed... The miracle of a single gospel seed and a Hindu mountain village. This is one of the more remarkable things that uh, I've ever uh, heard the report of. And, and it began to surface a number of years ago and more than a decade ago when we started hearing rumors of a, of a church on top of a mountain in Nepal that had several hundred people and that it had come, that, that whole village had uh, its beginning with a single gospel seed in a, a little booklet. And so I call this, it was a little gospel booklet. I, I title this The Church of the Printed Page in the Mount Everest region of, of Nepal. In fact, there you see a few of our workers there. Uh, and as you look at the screen here, uh, it, it, it was in a place called Dumana Mountain. Uh, and interestingly, if you look really carefully at the screen, just above the area that's uh, highlighted in, in red there, Dumana, uh, is Mount Everest. And that's actually just about uh, maybe 60 miles uh, direct south of Mount Everest. So you can imagine it's in a hilly country. And what had happened was our, a team of our workers, in fact, initially, I believe it was just two, had come to this particular mountain and had heard that there, there was a village on top of it. And this was tw some 25 years ago when we first began our home-to-home -home campaign to reach all 76 or so districts of, uh, of Nepal, home by home, 
with the goal of not missing uh, anyone. And so we heard the story about them, uh, at what had happened uh, as these workers went up in the mountain and how they came into a village. And, I, and uh, one of our leaders, just kind of a spiritual father to our ministry out of New Zealand for many, many, many years, he's now retired. In fact, he was a Baptist, I'm just digressing very quickly, he was a Baptist pastor of the second largest Baptist church in all of New Zealand. <laughs> the most steady, biblical, theologically sound uh, Baptist pastor when one night Jesus physically walked into his office when he was in prayer. And if you ever could hear his story, um, he wasn't someplace out in left field when Jesus called him to the nations. And the, the work that he went on to do was absolutely remarkable. His name was Fred Crichton. And, and so they, they, they decided, uh, he decided, I remember he first approached me, called me, and said, Dick, I, I'd like to confirm if that's really true, that there's a church that's multiplying and planting other churches on top of that mountain that had come uh, to Jesus through a single, a single gospel booklet. And so he got three others, and they, oh my, the things they had to go through to finally, because it was monsoon, monsoon season, to get to, the, uh, to, to head over to Mount Dumana. And it took them two days to get up to the top of the mountain. They were seeking to confirm, is, is it really true? And uh, I have some pictures of their team. And it took them two days to trek up this mountain. And uh, in fact, uh, on the way, uh, there were, I think it was 13 uh, bridges like the one you see that they had to cross. And uh, that's why I call them bridges of danger. And uh, uh, here's a, uh, w one I'm try I've been trying to figure out who took that picture. It sounds like he's hovering in air, but uh, I'm sure he was a great distance away. But he, uh, one of the team did, or one that went up with him, they had some porters that went with them also. And basically it was nonstop climbing uh, in order to get up to the top of this mountain where the workers had, were said to have gone uh, some 20, 25 years before that. Um, <laughs> I love this next picture. This is, that's Fred on the left. Um, I, I don't know if you can tell, but he looks a little weary. Uh, and our, our regional director for South Asia, uh, uh, Jacob George, is sitting there on his right, and someone captured that great picture <laughs> of them uh, as they paused to rest. Uh, and then finally, of course, they, they came to this village where the story was that when the workers had come to that village years ago, uh, it seemed to them to be totally inhabited. And uh, they did not know that some women were in the village. The men were gone. But the women would, would just not answer the door. And so they thought that it was just a com completely uh, uh, vacant. But they decided to, on the door doorposts, on the, on the uh, steps of the little houses, to leave these gospel messages. And one of the leaders of that village who was, and that's him pictured there, Mr. Brenda, a former Hindu priest, picked up that booklet when he came back to the village. And as I understand it, before he even went into the house, sat down, this is the power of the Holy Spirit, a 16-page booklet titled, You Must Meet Him. And he sat down and read that message 
And within 20 or 30 minutes or however long it was, he knew this was true. This was truth. He responded by doing what the booklet suggested or encouraged that you ask Jesus to come into your heart and you repent of your sins. And that very day, this uh, Hindu priest gave his life to Jesus and became profoundly transformed. He went to a, a nearby letterbox, the only one on top of that mountain. And I don't know how often a porter would come, maybe every week or two. And he filled out a little response card that went to our Kathmandu office. And by the way, at that time, we were receiving anywhere from 1,000 to 3,000 of those decision cards every single month in Nepal. And by the way, uh, as of now, it is over 350,000 of those uh, little decision cards that have been processed and Bible correspondence courses sent. And by the way, over 8,500 Christ groups, we call them Christ groups, our New Testament baby fellowships. This, this last year, by the way, was the ninth consecutive year that Every Home for Christ has been blessed with planting over 20,000 of these new Christ groups every year. So this past year was about, uh, uh, I, I think David mentioned the number, about 27,000 uh, that, were, that were planted uh, just this past year. And uh, so this is what, this was Brenda. And Brenda actually, well, I, I, uh, I should say that one of the things they discovered was, first of all, that there, there was a church of, uh, of uh, 300 people planted on top of that church. They heard the, the full story that I just kind of shared very briefly with you. And uh, uh, Brenda, they found out, had become actually a businessman now. And one of the things he did was he developed a, uh, a flour mill. Uh, he brought running water into the village. Um, just different things, telephone service, different things that happened in a remarkable way. And while our workers were up on top of that mountain, they found out that that, that group had already sent out uh, and planted seven additional churches uh, in that area of Mount Dumana in, over these years all because of the material that started to come to them. And they didn't go to any college or anything except that Brenda, the first person Brenda led to Jesus was his brother. And uh, just a few years ago, his brother then did go to a Bible school in Kathmandu for the purpose of going back on top of that mountain and starting a Bible school. <laughs> all traced to one booklet, one booklet. While our team was up there, they ordained uh, six pastors. And uh, it was just really great. They uh, here are some, just some of the Christ group leaders that were there at that time. And uh, uh, one of the, the things that, uh, one of my favorite stories is uh, that uh, uh, when the church was just uh, in its early years, they would write their own songs. And they were just worshiping Jesus. They got a hold of a Bible, so they were able to begin to teach out of it. And one day a porter, and this is funny, a porter was bringing other people's stuff up the mountain, and uh, came by that place, and he heard them singing. And just the way they were singing, uh, he, he walked in, and I think it was actually Brenda he talked to, and uh, he, he, he said, uh, uh, do, you, do you teach from, from a, a Bible, a book called the Bible? And, the, and Brenda said, yes. And he said, do you sing songs about a man named Jesus? And he, uh, he said, yes, we do. He said, oh, then you must be Christians. And he said, uh, he said to him, well, what's a Christian? Uh, he really had not heard that. 
And they said, what, well, someone that teaches from the Bible and sings songs about Jesus. And, and Brenda just smiled and said, oh, we're Christians. <laughs> so they discovered what they were. Hallelujah. Uh, but uh, this is what happened through the power of a single message. And I just love the song when you were singing earlier with the, the song, So Will I. And, uh, and there's a line in it, something like, uh, you're the one who never leaves the one behind. And I, I, I think of that from that parable of the of the, uh, the good shepherd and everything and, and, and uh, Luke chapter 15 that leaves the 99 and goes for one. And uh, we have just launched, and I just want to share this and end with a video. We, we, we have just launched a, a new campaign. Now, we've, the Ministry of Every Home for Christ began in Canada in 1946. This year will be the 73rd year of the ministry. And uh, uh, over 2 billion homes now have been visited. But we've become very conscious that there's a whole new generation growing up all over the world. And Keith Green, the great songwriter who died in the 1980s in a plane crash, made the, the statement, this generation is responsible to reach this generation for Jesus. And so we've started a new plan called the Oikos Initiative. Oikos is the, the Greek word for house or household. And... and uh, you know, Acts 5.42, when it says, uh, daily in the temple courts and every house, they never stopped proclaiming that Jesus was the Christ. The word for house is the word oikos. And so uh, based on this theme, we don't want to see anyone left behind. Uh, we've launched this campaign. Uh, our strategic plan has been put together, by the way, from all the nations. And uh, I asked them to put, make this, put this plan into a perfect bound volume for me so I could pray over it and our creative director laughed when I when I said can uh, well actually I was in a room with our creative director and our director of prayer and the director of prayer on my behalf said uh, Isaac could you put this could you put the strategic plan together in a perfect bound book for Dick and Isaac laughed and said no we can't do that and, and uh, Jesse our director of prayer said well why and he said because the book would be 6,200 pages thick and <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be that thick, but uh, we put it into many binders, and uh, in December we had a two days where the staff anointed every page of all those strate that strategic plans of all these nations with oil and prayed over it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you for what you're doing right here in this neighborhood, in this place, for your glory. And we pray that you would continue to bless Radiant Church, and we pray, God, that indeed it will be a praying church with a praying people, a rejoicing people, a worshiping people, to bring you great honor where you have planted them. And may they even impact the nations for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Can we honor Dick? If we could, let's just stay in this moment of prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed. We want to give you just a moment today to, to pause and just listen to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Maybe you're here today because someone invited you. Maybe you're here just because you just stumbled into church or maybe you're here because you've been coming for a while. But we want to give you an opportunity to hear the voice of the Lord for your heart and for your life. And if you've never said yes to following Jesus, today is a great opportunity for you to, to make that statement. The Bible says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we'll be saved. 
I've loved hearing these stories from, from Dr. Dick Eastman this morning because who knows what God can do with one yes? Who knows what your life will look like when you say yes to following him? If I look at my life, the trajectory was completely different based on a yes to following Jesus. And so many people in this room would say the same thing. So if you're here this morning and you want to say yes to following Jesus for the first time, or maybe you want to recommit, recommit that yes to the Lord. If that's you, if you want to say yes, I just want to ask you just right where you're at. No one's looking around just between you and the Lord. This is your decision. Just to raise your hand, just right where you're at. I want to take a moment. I want to pray for us. Jesus, as we commit to following you, as we give you our yes, our first yes, our hundredth yes, God, we commit to to living wholly alive for you. Jesus, we love you. And we're committed to following you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.